0: The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by Beeline. Visit findyoursiffingpoint.com, by Michter's American Whiskies, and by 291 Colorado Whiskey.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show, and I hope you're having a great and hearty, awesome uh, 2021, or at least a start to the 2021. Big announcement for you. You can now find this podcast on Dash Radio. That's right. Dash Radio has 14 million monthly listeners, and I've got a new segment there called the Minic Minute. That's the Minic Minute Minute. It's exclusive to Dash Radio, but they're also taking on the podcast. So now if you are listening to this podcast and want to go check out Dash Radio, go check it out. Go check it out. You'll love it. I mean, it's a, it's a free radio station. Basically, it's kind of like the old terrestrial radio styles uh kind of similar to sirius xm but it's commercial free and you will find my stuff there now it's called the minic minute so go check it out on dash radio now this week's guest is someone that i've been rocking to for a long time Ian from anthrax it gets really up in there on the bourbon boy is he a whiskey geek do we learn about his love for whiskey and how he used to find things in the same old story he can't find them anymore but we talk about music and more and he's got a crazy crazy story about going up in the air with tommy lee and it was absolutely fascinating so i can't wait for you to hear that and more but first a word from our sponsors
2: at michter's distillery our passion is making the finest bourbon rye and american whiskey possible For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to michters.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Mictor's Distillery, it's all about the whiskey. Imagine this, an experience centered around five Kentucky
0: bourbon trail craft tour distilleries in Northern Kentucky, the gateway to Kentucky bourbon. Add five amazing bourbon-centric bars and five delicious bourbon-focused restaurants, cultivating the freshest takes and culinary delights and you are on the beeline. Start your trip today at findyoursippingpoint.com. 291 Colorado Whiskey aims to create a -a one-of-a-kind, bold, and beautiful Colorado whiskey. Rugged, refined, rebellious. Distillery 291 is an award-winning small-batch whiskey distillery located in Colorado Springs, Colorado nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak. Owner and founding distiller Michael Myers grew up on family farms in Georgia and Tennessee, across a countryside defined by rolling hills, horses, and whiskey. He set out to create a flagship whiskey that evoked the wild west. A cowboy walking into a bar saying, give me a whiskey, and the bartender slamming down a bottle a bottle of 291 Colorado whiskey. Find a bottle near you at 291ColoradoWhiskey.com. Write it like you stole it. Drink it like you own it. Live fast. Drink responsibly.
1: Scott Ian of Anthrax. How are you doing, my friend?
3: Good, Fred. How are you?
1: Uh, you know, I I couldn't. I could be a lot better. I could be like at a festival right now. Watching you on stage, you know, crushing it. But, you know, other than that, I'm great. I mean, this is you. You are you are a musician who loves the stage. You love to perform in front of your fans. What's this year been like for you?
3: I mean, weird, obviously. That's kind of an understatement. But uh, at the same time. We didn't have that much scheduled for this year as far as touring goes. It was going to be an off year for us because we were going in. Basically, we finished our touring cycle for the last record last November of 19. Mm -hmm. So we were going to be working on a record this year. We did have some festival shows, Europe in the summer and some uh, one-offs here in the States throughout the year. But in total, maybe 25 shows. So like, we're lucky in that aspect. I know a lot of guys in bands that literally had records come out and had a year and a half of dates lined up and they all got thrown in the garbage. So, you know, for us, we didn't really, it didn't really change that much what we were doing this year. So, I mean, we're just lucky in that. And if there's any silver lining to this, I've got, I've gotten to be home since mm-hmm. March with my family. I, you know, I never could have electively just said, I'm taking all this time off. And, um, of course, you know, if I could trade that for no pandemic, I would, but it's not up to me. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and, of course, you've gotten to, you've gotten to play with your, your wife a lot, um, and that's, that's had to be awesome.
3: Yeah, even, even the thing we did for your repeal day, just Pearl and myself and Jim getting together and playing those songs acoustically – felt so good just to make music with other people and that's one of those things like you know you don't miss it till it's gone well it's it's totally true yeah you know i don't get me wrong i am itching to to get out and play shows again at some point for sure
1: well my my instrument is whiskey so uh my 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 talent you know we 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 share an agency you know, we we have, uh, we both are represented by TKO, the mm-hmm. talent agency. And like, um, they actually represent people who with real talent. My talent is drinking whiskey with people. So,
3: <laughs> so well, sure. I would say, I would say then you have absolutely got life by the balls. If you were able to make that, <laughs> that is because that's your job. And that is, that's the best. That's what I do. That's what I do. I love it. <laughs> So
1: we're gonna start off with uh, a little uh, Maker's Mark uh, 101.
3: Yes, I got my little sample, my little cough, cough medicine bottle right here.
1: Right on. It's for medicinal purposes. Medicinal. Yes. Purposes. So you, I can tell, I can tell you needed a, you needed a little bit there. My goodness, I, I,
3: I gave myself a healthy pour there. Yeah. Can I see the bottle? Can I see the Absolutely. bottle? Yeah. So what's the story with this Makers 101?
1: So this is – so Makers Mark is they, – they have uh, – this is like a distillery-only release. But this is like 11 proof points higher uh, right. than their other one. Their other one is uh, is is 90 proof. And they used – they've kind of – they've kind of been really hell-bent on just their ordinary release. And then they've started – like uh coming out with some different re- releases like makers 46
3: yeah the 46 right
1: and they've got then they've got like a private selection thing so they do a lot of tinkering with staves and then they used to have this product that was a it was a uh, it was a black wax i have
3: one you got a black wax nice. yeah i bought it in J- i bought it in japan ages ago
1: yeah so that's like a that one's money man so if you have still have that that's like I That's do sipping on a little bit of heaven right there. Those old yeah, makers are
3: great. I've never opened it. We were in Japan, I saw it, and I was like, "What is this black wax?" Because I, I, I could just give you a little background on my whiskey history. I didn't start. I didn't have my really my well. The first whiskey I ever had was a Jack and Coke with Lemmy in 1985 at a bar in London where I, I, I bumped into him. He's my hero. And uh I bumped into him in a bar and I didn't even drink at the time. I was 21. I didn't drink. And uh I saw Lemmy and I offered to buy him a drink. And he said, you're in my town. I'll buy you a drink. What are you having? And I didn't even know how to answer that question. So I just said, I'll have whatever you're having. And he was drinking Jack and Coke. And so all of a sudden I've got a whiskey in front of me and I'm worried that I'm gonna like throw up on his white boots and get fired from heavy metal and <laughs> and uh but anyway I, I drank a whole bunch of Jack and Cooks with let me alcohol in London, So then I didn't drink again for twelve years. <laughs> and in my early thirties I started drinking whiskey with Diamond and Pantera. He actually taught me how to drink whiskey properly initially with like crown and coke and then i realized this is just too sweet for me Mm. uh i need something better and i found maker's mark and this was in like 19 early 90s probably i started drinking makers and that was my gateway into the world of whiskey
1: well you know it's a gateway for a lot of people but not everybody can have their first like you know have their whiskey indoctrination with with lemmy that's awesome
0: It was
3: awesome. And it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And six months, six months later, we played our first ever, like uh, headlining gig in London. And he was there backstage and he's saying hi to everybody. And he looks at me and he's like, how are you feeling? And I said, you remember me? And he said, yeah, I met you at the uh, a guy, I can't remember the name of the bar right now. Anyway, I, I, I met on oh, the Saint Moritz. He said I met you at the Saint Moritz. It's not as fancy as it sounds. It was a like a dank basement in London, and uh, and uh, he said and we were drinking, and at some point you stopped speaking English, and uh, and I said I hope I didn't do anything to offend you. He said no, I just couldn't understand what you were saying to me, and then you ran out of the bar, and he said I figured you were you weren't feeling so good, and I said, yeah. I wasn't that much of a drinker. He was like, yeah, I could tell.
1: Yeah, and he was <laughs> and of course he's like a like a champion, you know. He was like the uh Yes. He's like the liver of the gods and, Yes, you know, known for drinking his Jack Daniel's. So, well, I, I unfortunately I don't have a Jack to toast Lemmy, but let's let's raise a little glass of of the makers here for for Lemmy cuz Sure. He's, yeah, he's amazing.
3: Yeah, it's it's definitely got a little more heat than a regular Maker's. Because once in a while, I'll go, I'll I'll have, I'll just have a Maker's, and uh, much like Jameson's, I, I find like it's obvious, it's like almost like drinking water. Sometimes it's so easy to drink.
1: Yeah, and you know this is the only everything else I sent you uh, are barrel finishes. So this is the only one that is like a traditional bourbon. And in mm-hmm. fact, Maker's Mark, like if we were to if we were to turn back the clock and travel back to 1956, Maker's Mark is one of the very few bourbons that would be on the shelf today and still be bourbon. Like the cuz it goes into the barrel at a at a low entry proof of 110 and they changed that law in on 1962. Right. And essentially now everybody goes in the barrel at 125 proof or 120 and Makers is one of the few that does not. So, uh, it, it's a it's a old school old school bourbon, man. You
3: know? Yeah. And wasn't it was it? I don't know if it was in the '90s or when it was, but wasn't Dave Pickerel the guy that kind of, tur- like, brought Makers Mark kind of back from like I had never heard of it, and then suddenly there was this bottle everywhere with red wax, and I yeah. started drinking it.
1: So, Dave Pickrell was a master distiller for Makers. Uh, you know, I'd say the guy that the Makers' Mark has never necessarily been about the master distiller. They've been a little bit more about, you know, the Samuels family, which is the founders of right. it. Right. Sure. And, and Bill Samuels Jr. is the kind of like this kind of eclectic, um, you know, he would wear a pink suit and a purple wig to a party. He he nice. did he did things like, you know, when they were in the market, they used to take out newspaper ads, it, you know, to target Jack Daniel's fans and they found a guy in the south whose name was Jack Daniel and they paid him they paid him some money and dressed him up like the Jack Daniel's character and uh, said, "Hey, look everybody, Jack Daniel's drinks maker's mark." And and like he <laughs> and he did another thing where he hired uh, the Jack Daniel band and he invited uh, for for a kentucky derby party and he invited the um the ceo of brown foreman over to the party and he didn't tell him he's like he's like hey uh owsley, i want you to see my band tonight and it was the uh, jack and he's like hey everybody we're the jack daniels band and after that party owsley brown went to his team and said will somebody please create a bourbon to get Makers, Mark, and Bill Samuels off of Jack Daniel's ass. And that is basically, that was the motivation to create Woodford Reserve.
3: Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, just, you no, know, like, no. No. Sorry. It's all good. Not in trouble, are you? No, 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 not at all.
1: By the way, I, uh, I, I shared on Twitter, my... Uh,
3: it's like a pint glass or something, anything. To get rid
1: of it. Yeah. My my high school principal was uh, I was I was listening to some anthrax in high school, and and my my high school principal came up to me and said I was going to be I was going to be going to hell if I kept listening to anthrax. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, so, I I, was I'm like, glad we were able to offend people that way even though that was really obviously not who we were and never our intent but the fact that people would get that from our music just because it sounded a certain way i was i'll I'll take it i'm happy to accept that
1: you know and if you listen if you listen to it i mean it is i mean i i feel like i feel like hard rock heavy metal is (laughs) Is a little bit like uh, you know some heavier like classical classical music from like the 1600s to 1800s. It's got that same kind of like feel to it, and I and I just feel like people get heavy metal and hard rock all wrong. And I go back to my principal, who also he by the way he smashed an Easy E Easy E tape with his paddle. So I mean I was like I was on his shit list when it came to music. But, um, you know, I, I, just get a sense that, you know, especially back in the nineties, heavy metal just got a really, really bad rap in, in, in like the mainstream culture.
3: Right. Yeah. Or even more so in the eighties when you had the PMRC, you know, Tipper Gore and, and, uh, housewives who decided that, you know, we were dangerous for the youth of, um, of America. And, uh, that's when Dee Snider and Frank Sapo went to Capitol Hill and testified in front of Congress and all that because they wanted to put warning stickers on albums, that whole thing. And the best part about it is at the end of the day, what they you know there was some compromise made and the labels decided they would put content warning stickers on records. And that enabled us to sell more albums because every kid wanted the record with a content warning on it. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you you know social justice warriors for enabling us to sell more records to kids that you were trying to uh, you know protect them from us. We, they bought more of them.
1: <laughs> so let's uh, let's now move into uh, the next uh, products here. Now the next series that we have, they're all finished in barrels. I've got an angel Envy, Angels Envy uh, seller collection. This yes. is uh, finished in a tawny port. I've got a uh, barrel bourbon, a barrel bourbon whiskey finished in pear, brandy, and Sicilian Amaro cask, which, you know, that's going to be – that's going to be – this will be the first time I've tasted it is
3: with you, actually. That's the barrel one.
1: Yeah, that's the barrel one. Cool. I've had a couple of
3: barrels bourbons in there. Uh, I, I liked everything I've had. They do a great job and this
1: uh this is spirits of french lick uh this is a high rye bourbon finished in port wine uh and by the way uh alan bishop who was the distiller here is a huge fan so just i to tell you that
3: he's, uh, nice. he's
1: a nice he's a big rock fan so let's start there let's start with the spirits of french
3: lick this is french the... lick indiana the home of larry bird
1: unpretentious is what it's called
3: Larry. yeah bird.
1: yeah he just had a birthday
3: I want to say Don Mattingly might be from there, too, the baseball player. I think they were from the same town.
1: Well, I know Don Mattingly's daughter lives in Louisville. Ah, okay. So she's, uh, she's around here every now and then.
3: All right. Unpretentious High Rye. Let's see what now, this is all about.
1: This is, um, you know, obviously people think of Kentucky for bourbon, but Indiana's making a lot of really good bourbon right now. And uh, spirits of French Lake is one is a is a distillery I I think people should keep an eye on.
3: Cool, I'll have to. Uh, what was his name? Alan Bishop. You yeah, have to Al- put me in, put me in touch with him. Maybe him and I could trade some anthrax for some for some rye. <laughs> I right.
1: I think he'd go for that. Maybe get your own barrel because you all did a barrel. You did a barrel with uh, Hill Rock.
3: We've done three barrels with Hill Rock. We did the first one was the Solera bourbon, which we call the healer. And then we did Evil Twin 1, which was a, their double cask rye And now Evil Twin 2 actually comes out next week because, well, let me taste this first. Then I'll tell the story after.
1: Yeah, like I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the zone right now. I, I can't get to it yet.
3: Oh, that's nice. Real easy, like not not the normal, like it doesn't have that super like it's got rye spice, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have like that real like kind of burn on the back of my tongue or like it's real approachable. And and uh that's oh, really nice. Unpretentious. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. What what I what I like about this is that it's got like it like you said, it's got like this flash of a spice. Yeah. And then, then all of the sweetness comes on. You know, there's uh-huh. like this like cadre of sweetness just coming in after the spice. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I'm getting like maple and vanilla, and uh, let's see, one more taste. That's damn good. I gotta say. What is that retail for? Do you know?
1: I think it's sold out, but I know uh, I know it's uh, I've seen it on the secondary market for uh, a few hundred to a thousand before.
3: Oh, wow. Oh, so you this know. is. Oh, you were, so we're talking high end. I, I thought like this is like like a thirty dollar bottle or something. I was well, like, it, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> he does have he
1: does have some like forty dollar bottles um, that are really good. <laughs> This was just one. This was one of those like anomalously release, you know, one of those releases that you didn't see coming, and that mm-hmm. is like really exploded, and it had like an enormous demand on it. Like, like this, this is one of those where I I see it and I'm I'm in love with it, but all of these people like found it like long before uh like critics fell in love with it. So uh-huh. six months before I ever tasted this stuff it was already sold out and demand on the secondary market and everything. That I was just like, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it, it doesn't happen very often, but that, I mean, that does happen with way with the way bourbon is right now. They can like these like products, like this particular one, there's another one I can think of from a few years ago called Mike drop. That was an MGP uh-huh. whiskey. It had a, one of those cluster uh, craziness to it. And then, you know, the difference between this and that mic drop is that Alan distilled this. You know, so that's 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 why I'm so in love with this distillery, is that they're doing all their own stuff. They're doing unique unique uh, mash bills with various grains and finishes. And he's also an absinthe maker. So like he's he's playing around with some absinthe and he can make brandy. And he used to distill with popcorn Sutton once upon a time.
3: What uh what was this one finished in again?
1: Uh, Port barrels. Nice. I I do not know if if they were uh, finished in tawny or uh, I don't know what type of port barrel, but I'm pretty sure it was probably a ruby port. Um, And the mash bill is 55% corn, 35% rye, which is supremely high, and 10% malt, non-chill filtered, and coming in at a hundred and six proof, mm. so packing just a little heat, just a little heat. Very good. What's I'm interesting? Good at, yeah. What's What's interesting uh, about this, Scott, is that a lot of times a port barrel will overpower a whiskey. So as we move on to the uh, Angel's Envy, the tawny port. I think we, we should do a side-by-side of these, two. so I see a kick in the I'm back.
3: I <laughs> got more. I have you more. more.
1: You can do a side-by-side. It's all good.
3: I can. Look. See? I'm very prepared. I, it's weird. The camera's, like, opposite. Or is you know, it just it, me?
1: It, yeah. It, 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 on your end, it is. On the recording,
3: you're good. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, you're good on the recording.
3: All right. So let, here, I'm going to do unpretentious in the one I just had.
1: And then, uh, and then, uh, Angels Envy, uh, Tani Port. Yes. So, in the what what do you feel like the the status of of hard rock heavy metal is right now? I look at the genre as like it's it feels I feel like there's a lot of collaborations going on there's a lot of people from the hip hop community coming over and wanting to get some of the, you know, heavy sounds. And you also see, um, um, you know, a little bit more of an alternative vibe. I'm just curious, what is your take right now on, on the, on the mood of, of hard rock and heavy metal?
3: I mean, I think it's super healthy, you know, as, as healthy as, it's ever been, you know, you can't judge things anymore by album sales because, you know, people buying physical uh, um, people buying, you know, CDs, vinyl uh, it isn't what it used to be and Mm -hmm. the streaming numbers for hard rock and heavy metal don't come anywhere close to the streaming numbers of pop or rap Um, but uh, as far as ticket sales go and uh, going out on tour and all that, and just in general, look, we've been doing this a long time, and the fact that I can still do this now, going mm-hmm. at, next year will be our fortieth year as a band. Um, right. I can still do this now, and you know, make a living at it all these decades later, uh, at a higher level than we did even in the eighties. So. Uh, that to me, I guess, you know, I can only judge it by the health of my bands, you know, where, where my band is at professionally and things are really good. So uh, that to me is a good barometer for what's going on with hard rock and, and heavy metal in general. I think there's tons of, so many new bands uh, in metal that have come through in like the last 10 years. Um, and then of course you've got, you know, the grandpas like us and, I was going to say Slayer, but they retired, but us and Megadeth and, you know, uh, Metallica and even bands that I considered to be new bands like System of a Down or, you know, I mean, there's so many. Lamb of God, uh, all these guys who have now been around going on 20, 30 years, Um, you know, I think it's really healthy. Uh, There's always going to be a new generation of kids that are going to look for an alternative, to what's on the radio or what's on the television mm-hmm. and that's hard rock and heavy metal. So, you know, we we've it's, it's kind of like the death business. Funeral homes are never going to go out of business. I don't think guitar-based bands are ever going to go out of business.
1: <laughs> uh, I love, that's I love that uh, analogy actually. <laughs> uh, is there is there a is there a younger band that is there a new band that you've got your eye on that you think is like They've got the sound.
3: Um, Yeah, we had this band on tour with us just a couple of years ago. Uh, They were called Code Orange, uh, and they were opening the tour, and uh, I hadn't heard of them before the tour, and I went out and watched them the first night, and I was completely blown away by their energy. I had never seen anything like as energetic as the, the aggression and the passion that these uh, this band was was giving to the audience, and uh, um, in, and in front of an audience that I would say you know at the time ninety percent of the crowd didn't know who the hell they were, but they were hitting it so hard on that stage, they refused to be denied the the audience, and they 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 crushed and they won the audience over, and uh, and you know they've since kind of blown up since that tour and they're they're doing really well um and you know and i think they're a band that could go on because they're really pushing the boundaries musically too uh they're not just a hardcore band they're not just a metal band uh they have so many other elements in their sound and and i I think they could go on to you know i think really at this point do whatever they want for as long as they want and uh, and that's a really great place to be creatively
1: that's awesome as we get into like the Angels Envy uh, a port barrel, I'll say that like this is a creative whiskey like you, you, you mentioned you know creativity on the stage. The fact that these guys came out with uh, and started finishing in port barrels in um, 2010 to 2013, which was when they were kind of formalizing the company. Uh, they they did something that was pushing the boundaries because this category did not really exist in 2010. It there was one like American whiskey barrel finish in the late 1990s, and it was by Booker Noah Jim Beam, and it was a flop. I mean, today you find those bottles on the secondary market. There's 18 year old, uh, Jim Beam masterpiece finished in uh, cognac barrels. They're a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks. Everybody wants them, but at that time, nobody wanted them. It was like, it was a huge flop. Right. Uh, and like now, everybody's doing these barrel finishes, and yeah. And I think Angel's Envy uh, deserves a lot of credit for everything that they have done to kind of propel the category because they were the first mainstay barrel finish. That said, I still don't like seeing bourbon on the label. Call me a purist, but bourbon by definition. Cannot go into used oak, so when I see bourbon finished in a ex-barrel, it, it just kind of irritates me a little bit. I love the category, I love the flavor profile of these. Sure, sure. I just would I would just prefer that we as an industry call them whiskey and and not bourbon. that got a, it. And maybe maybe the federal government changes the law. I don't know. Maybe 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 they change that up, but uh, and it has a has a special designation for these, but. Right now, it's really loose, and what we're tasting here are going to be products of distilleries and and bottlers that follow a code—not necessarily the rules—but they don't like go and dump a bunch of sugar additives in there. But people can get away with stuff like that in this part. So,
3: yeah, I've I've been reading. I've been reading quite a lot about that because we, we, you know, with Anthrax, we are in business with Hill Rock, and it's Mm -hmm. you know they do a lot of barrel finishes and. So I've been reading a lot about this, how distillers have been able to somehow get around the thing where they can still call it bourbon, even though it's essentially if you want to, you know, you you get it down to brass tacks, it's not that. Right. Yeah,
1: and what they're able to do is there's a category uh, in the federal government called the distilled spirit specialty where they are allowed to... You know go in under under a distilled spirit specialty and uh you can throw in anything in there you can throw in a lot of things in there you know in fact if you wanted to if you wanted to filter you know let's say you wanted to filter a mexican whiskey uh through north carolina gyms gym socks and finish it in a (laughs) um you know a curacao barrel you could do that in under the uh, distilled spirit specialty, you know, clause. So
3: I, I will taste that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Hey, you're down for some
1: Jim Sock whiskey.
3: Even Got just it. when you said Mexican whiskey, I was like, "Is there Mexican whiskey?"
1: Oh yeah, yeah. There's a there's a growing movement of Mexican whiskey in uh, in Oaxaca. Uh, which is where they make uh, mezcal. At first,
3: sure. yeah. At, at first, I didn't like it.
1: I've tasted the, like their second and third runs. They're getting better.
3: They're getting better. Cool. Real, uh, I got. I got to check that out. out. Yeah, I love the idea of Mexican whiskey.
1: Now, there the the history of mis- Mexican whiskey kind of collides with bourbon. Um, they were making Mexican bourbon during Prohibition and after Prohibition. So Mexican bourbon was on the shelf for up until 1964, when bourbon became a unique product of the United States. Okay. And, and so when we did that, Mexico pretty much stopped making whiskey and focused on tequila. And I I think Mexica, the Mexico Mexico uh, some of the best food some of the best food in the world's in Mexico. Yeah. And some of the best beers in Mexico. Yes. And I'll be damned if tequila. I'd put tequila and great mezcal up against anything, you know. Oh,
3: I love it! I love it. That's that's my go-to whiskey and tequila and mezcal. That's that's my thing.
1: Those are that, and I mean, and, exactly. and amaro
3: and, and amaro as well. And and gin and and, 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 and beer <laughs> and beer. gin and beer and gin and, and wine and wine. And, well, shit! I just yeah. like everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Cali- I've been in California for 30 years, so I go to Mexico. And, and uh, yeah, and uh, I just – wow, I got to check out me- Mexican whiskey for sure. Yeah, but anyway, I'll,
1: uh, I'll get a bottle sent to you.
3: That would be great. Angel's Envy, right? We're Angel's tasting Envy. that one first. Cheers. And the Angel's Envy was which finish again?
1: This is a, in a Tawny port.
3: Tawny port. So, tawny, right, I'm going to write that on my bottle.
1: Tawny ports are are – the ones that have been uh, aged a lot right. longer.
3: Yes, I'm a port drinker as well. <laughs>
1: have you been to Portugal and uh, been to uh, some bodegas?
3: I, I've been to Portugal many times, but I've never gotten to. I've never visited a, you know, a just di- not a distiller, but a, you know, a. Uh, a, a I'm losing the words. A winery. A winery.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean they are. Um, I, I I love port you get a 40 year old port or you get like a vintage port from like the perfect year. I mean, you know, you know, sign me up and cancel work tomorrow because I'll drink the whole damn bottle. They're yes. so good.
3: Even like, like my, like Pearl and I, we were in upstate New York the last few months. You could pick your head in. Hi Pearl
0: hi fred
3: <laughs> great really great performance at repeal day expo it's a great performance at repeal day
1: expo Oh
0: man thank you for having us it was yeah. so fun
1: you had uh you had a lot of people cheering for you in the avatar world
3: you had a lot of people cheering for you in the avatar world he said
0: oh i love that <laughs> thank you thank you Absolutely. for inviting us yeah I'm still telling people about the fun time I had with you up Bourbon and Beyond. That was oh, fun. Oh, it was
1: so great. And You know, it's too bad that we couldn't do it again, you know, this year, you know, obviously, but hopefully next year.
3: Yes. Back.
0: It'll happen again, for sure.
1: I, I believe so. Well, I believe so. And it'll be, you know, you'll definitely be up there again sometime. I know it.
0: Yeah, it'll you be gotta- fun. We'll all be back there.
1: You you were like a fan favorite out here. Like you were like in the Courier Journal and everything.
0: Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know.
1: Yeah, huh. you had like you were like on the um, like go to the Courier Journal and look for their slideshow. They were they were all
3: over you. Cool.
0: Wow, Courier cool. Journal. Yeah, cool. Yeah. We'll check
3: it out.
1: That's our oh. that's our local newspaper.
0: I thought maybe our son upstaged everything by getting on on stage with <laughs> food fighters. <laughs> <laughs> Which was like the best thing ever so you know I un- yeah. I would understand that
1: you know that's uh there was a there was a few kids who got on stage uh you know those few weekends uh uh what's uh w- Willie Nelson's uh Willie Nelson's boy what's his name Lucas Nelson Lucas Nelson's <laughs> kid got on stage and was playing with him I was like holy crap
0: Oh well, yeah, that day I remember that day. They were backstage, uh, backstage with us. We met him. He what a cool little boy. He was yeah. cool.
1: Good times. Right on. So
0: you guys is, having fun?
1: Is, is Scott yes. sharing the whiskey with you?
0: Um, kind of.
3: <laughs> always, <laughs> always. <laughs> no,
0: always, always, always. We don't drink alone, right?
3: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going back under headphones.
1: Okay. He's going back in
3: yeah what I was going to say was we were up in upstate New York for like three and a half months. We just got home recently, just like last week and uh so we started drinking port because it got cold out and I was just buying these you know twenty year old Graham's tawny, and yeah, I mean
1: they they taste so good you you get the right you get the right tawny port, and it's like you don't want to drink anything else, and you can't drink anything else because nothing will meet that expectation
3: like i only usually drink it in the winter months although i live in southern california so but uh it's like a year goes by and i'm like oh my god i forgot how great this is
1: (laughs) so you had the have you did you taste the tawny one yet
3: i tasted the angel's envy and now i'm going to go back to the unpretentious I mean, the the Angel's Envy is – it feels much lighter to me because it's a bourbon, right?
1: Yeah, it's also it's, – it, it's a bourbon. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Compared – I mean, not that the Unpretentious is like some uh, giant, you know, uh, single malt or something, but it just – there's more going on uh, with the Unpretentious. Definitely more complex, a little bit more heat um although I do like the Angels Envy it's it's it tastes great
1: yeah what what I think is fascinating to me about these two is that I can still I can still taste the origins of the unpretentious like I can still taste like the grains and I can still taste like uh the bourbon without like the the cast kind of You know, taking over, whereas with the with the angel's envy, is a is a almost like a marriage of the two, kind of coming into one, where it's unique. And I think this is a matter of preference with these barrel finishes. I still, I still, because I still do lean toward wanting to taste uh, the whiskey and the bourbon. Um, I still want to taste that. And not necessarily see a domination of the secondary barrel not that the tawny port finish is, is uh an angel's envy is a is a domination but i'm with you in that there's just there's wow. still just an element going on um that is not there with the angels envy
3: i uh, no i i agree with you um like with coffee i drink my coffee black because i want to taste the bean that i'm drinking and I uh, and I'm and I do like other coffee drinks like I'll sometimes I'll have something that has it's sweetened and it's it's got milk in it or something. But in general, my go to in the morning is I drink black coffee, really good black coffee, but black coffee because I want to taste it. And I, I, and I feel the same way about uh, whiskey. Um, I want to taste. I want to taste it. If it's got a finish, that's great, too, and I have no problem with that. But I, I think if it really came down to it, I, you know, I'm more of a purist, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
0: I
1: love that. <laughs> so we are now going to taste the barrel Armida, which uh, I, I think – I. I'm pretty. I feel pretty confident in saying that this is the first time somebody has finished a whiskey and a pear brandy rum. Yeah, and I've never. And
3: heard, I've, I've, I've never heard of that. I love pear brandy and I love amaro. So uh, let's see what's happening with this. All right, this, Scott, this one's going to go on this. Is there bar. a
1: drink you don't like? I, I'll, I'll, uh, sh- I'll share mine if you
3: share yours. That I don't like. Um, I don't think so. I've only ever gone off certain uh, certain spirits because maybe at some point in my life I had a I got a little too crazy with it, and then I had a step back for a little while. Like gin in the early '90s, and I didn't drink it for a long time. And at one and actually in same with tequila in the early '90s and then I didn't drink it for a long time. Both of I've got back on the horse with both of them years and years ago. Um, no, I, I don't think there's an, there's a spirit or a drink I, that I, I mean, I like certain ones better than others, but I don't have one that I, I'm like, Oh no, I, ugh, I hate that. I can't drink it.
1: I only, I no. only have
3: one. And it's vodka.
1: Really, you You know it well, you know, it's, you know, it's vodka.
3: I love. That. I know because I follow you. I know. I know.
1: <laughs> and it, the reason why it, it, it's not—it's not because that the spirit truly, genuinely in my heart sucks. It's because of the business behind vodka and the history of vodka and what it did to bourbon in the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies, taking it off the shelf. But right. really, today. You know, you go into a liquor store and you'll see stacks upon stacks of vodkas right there at the front. There I mean it's everywhere. It's like a sea of the stuff. That's because the vodka distiller is is paying to have that placement. And the distributors will also tell the retailer, Oh, you want this really highly allocated bottle of bourbon? You gotta buy 60 cases of that vodka right there.
3: Wow, and, see I didn't know I didn't know that's how it worked. Wow. And so okay. that's
1: that's like kind of one of the dirty secrets and it's not really a secret. I mean, it's very it, it's very um discussed. It's very much discussed in in little circles like this. But at the end it just it just vodka is basically not there's not a vodka magazine, you know. <laughs> you don't you don't yeah. see vodka groups i mean no. vodka is what it is it, it is a it is an intoxicant um and that's it but i will no, say I, I
3: agree i, I will agree say
1: that if you are going to drink vodka i would much rather see you like buy vodka from a small distiller that's uh-huh. it i buy from a small distiller don't buy one of the big brands
3: i could actually say it's probably the one drink i never drink vodka I mean, I I have in my life, of course, but um, I never drink it. I don't think I've had a vodka in years just because what is it? It it just takes on the flavor of whatever. I don't, who cares about drinking straight vodka? I don't need to just shoot vodka. And um, I don't really drink very sweet drinks or anything like that. Um, I used to, sometimes I would have a dry vodka martini, but that was when I was off gin And then when I got back in the gin, I never had a vodka martini again. So um, I never drink vodka. I would never – that would be like 12th on my list to go to. Like literally if a bar had – if you walked into some place and they literally had beer and a bottle of vodka, I'd go beer first. But if they didn't have any beer left, I guess that's all they would – then I'd have no choice.
1: I mean, (laughs) all right, so this – I would I would probably drink vodka over prisoner toilet wine, but that's about it. You know, that's that's about the only time Yeah I, I'm going that road.
3: Well although what would what would you rather drink? Really shitty vodka or really shitty vine wine, which would be lesser of two evils.
1: Um I would probably drink a, a basic vodka that's clean. Over a really shitty wine, because yeah, maybe there's
3: there's probably less taste, right? Yeah,
1: so, yeah. Like I mean, I can mad, like, really shitty wine, man. And it's also like bad wine, Man, it gives me a really bad headache the next day.
3: You know? Well, so, yeah, of course.
1: Spirits don't give me headaches. I don't get. I have like no. I think my body's impervious to to like out spirits, but like wine, you know. I I have like a. Uh,
3: a a bad wine,
1: I mean, I could, I'll have a headache all day.
3: No headache with spirits is a very good superpower to have. (laughs)
1: Like I said, it's my only talent. (laughs)
3: Um, I got, I got so sick on pop-off vodka on my 18th birthday. And that, that was in uh, 1981. And uh, that's when, that's basically why I I didn't drink all through that time in my twenties, because I, I got alcohol poisoning on my 18th birthday on pop-off vodka. And uh, yeah, I didn't, not only drink it, it, you know, even vodka took forever to ever have a, even a vodka cranberry. Did you have to go to the hospital? Um, Didn't go to the hospital, but I was, uh, I was in really bad shape for about four days. Like, wow, and I, it's not like it was my first time drinking. I grew up in New York city. So drinking age was 18. At the time, and uh, you know, back then, and I had already started drinking probably when I was like fifteen, mostly beer beer and vodka. That's when you drink what you drink when you're a kid. It's the easiest thing to get your hands on or and the most most palatable cause vodka, cranberry or vodka and orange juice, of course, screwdrivers. and uh, so yeah, I I really tore it up, and uh, yeah, I was I was bad. My mother kept coming into my room asking me what was wrong with me she thought i i just told her i had the flu like basically i just lied about it and and uh oh my god it was it was so bad i i I couldn't physically like i couldn't move for four days i was destroyed like it was it was bad
1: holy cow like i mean you had had like uh uh and i've heard about this before i've heard of like uh people who had who drank so much like their their muscles seize is yes. that what was happening to you you were having like like yeah, seizures I, in your muscles. I,
3: the party my birthday is new year's eve and uh i went to a party at my buddy's house i, I lived my in my
1: son's in a, birthday too my son's nice. born on new year's eve yeah i love that
3: i i lived in an apartment building in queens and i went to my friend's house on. I, I lived on the second floor and my buddy was throwing a party on the first floor because his dad was out of town so he had a whole bunch of people over and, uh, and yeah, I literally crawled. I had to crawl up the stairs, like down the hall, up the stairs into my house. Cause I had left the door open. You could push this little thing to leave the door open. And, uh, and then it was like, it was four days of, of agony, fevers, chills. Like I couldn't eat. Um, I mean, I you know, I'm not exaggerating if I was to say I might have drank, like, you know, easily a half gallon of that crap. You know, it was in wow. the big, pla- big plastic, like, thing yeah. with a handle on it.
1: <laughs> it was well, thank so God. bad. I mean, that's the kind of, like, uh, that's, the, that's the kind of, like, um, you know, Russian type of drinking that we lose people. So, thank God you're okay. I mean, the fact that you're able to, it, you're, like, reciting this and like you're still feeling it in your bones i mean you know it was bad
3: but it, it what's amazing is because of that experience through all the formative years of the band i was Stone cold sober and i think that really gave me a leg up on what was going on because i know so many people who weren't yeah and I was all about business 24 seven because I had no distractions because I wasn't drinking or doing drugs. So um, I kind of look at it as it was it was kind of like this thing that was meant to happen because it enabled me to work twice as hard as everyone else now, after that's a, the fact.
1: That's a really good point. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when kids wanted to smoke and they would steal their, you know, their their parents' smokes. And some parents, like my my grandpa with my dad, said, "Oh, you want to smoke? Smoke the whole pack right now." You like, right? right. From, you know, I mean, right. It's that kind <laughs> of a uh, you get you get overexposed to something. You're like, "Oh, fuck! I don't want to taste that shit again." So we got to taste this uh, armita, this barrel armita here. Uh, uh, I've I've already I've already snuck a taste in, and I'm just gonna say that it is different.
3: Uh, I'm trying the Armida right now. I I can't get a scent of this from the, the, the smell at all. Hmm. Ooh, that's got some heat.
1: 112 proof.
3: Yeah, it's... Hmm. I do like it if i was going to compare it to a a guitar tone which i know this probably will only make sense in my brain but it's got a lot of mid-range i don't and i know that doesn't make sense but to maybe someone who doesn't play guitar with my type of sound but hmm Yeah, I don't know.
1: The, to me, that pair, that pair brandy finish is like dominating this thing.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's kind of like a, there's a bit of that on the on the on the finish, on the end of this that I'm I'm getting that. Like, I don't know. I would have one. I don't know that I would want. Three of these. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's like, that's like a that's like a backs it's like a backhanded like compliment. Of, I
3: know, like, I know like, it, like, it is. <laughs> I know. Okay, look, look, I, I, I'm not spitting it back in the glass. You yeah, know what I mean? But a, that's a good. But one. Uh, it's um,
1: it's not feel it's not feeling balanced for me. I'll I'll, I'll tell you. In in the folks at Barrel Bourbon are dear friends of mine oh, they do great things they do I great love stuff uh I, I just feel like this pear brandy was a little too aggressive on here and, right and um i i'm not getting any of the bitterness that i want to see from the amaro and i'm certainly not detecting no any, like molasses for from the rum i'm not detecting i mean it's like the pear brandy just like came in and kicked those other two barrels just right out yeah. of the park and
2: Especially
3: because that—that's what I'm getting on the finish. So it's kind of like, that's what's staying with me is just this overwhelming pear brandy mm-hmm. thing.
1: Huh. Yeah, and the nose too. The nose—the nose is a little—it's all over the place. But I—I I, I do think I do think that this is one that I want to—I think at another setting it might i might like it more i don't know mm. i'm not i'm not giving up on it i'm not giving up no
3: no i wouldn't either i
1: you know this this might be one the northern scott the northern lights are coming you know there could be like this geo you know spatial thing happening to us right now where you know pairs aligned with that star i mean who the fuck knows
3: or well, you know what maybe maybe this is something like Maybe this is something you have after dinner with, like, dessert, like when you're eating, like, a really delicious piece of pie.
1: Oh, my God. I I don't know. That that sounds great. (laughs) That sounds great. Uh, I I will say, too, like, I do believe, like, as as a taster, I believe in tasting three times before you kind of give, like, a final thought on something because you don't want to – because it's kind of like inevitably you're going to play – You're going to play beautiful one night and hit every note and just crush it. And I'm sure there's been a time that you were like, I'd like to have that performance back. And it's very much the same with like tasting. You know, this is like it's it's just it's just an extension of your body. It's like instead of like running or playing, it is it's taste and your taste, your taste and your perceptions will change from day to day. But the fact that both of us were were turned off by it first taste yeah, is, is a sign to me. But
3: I mean, I, I still have, obviously, I, you know, I've still got, I, I'm going to go back to this. I'm not, you know, I will taste this again. And, uh, and actually, and I've got some friends coming over on uh, Saturday who might, you know, who also appreciate whiskey. And uh, I'm going to have them check it out too and see what they think.
1: All right, so now is the now is the fun time, where we get to decide our favorite of the
3: episode here. What about the uh, misters and the uh, Colorado whiskey?
1: Oh, have or you, you al- just sent me those? Yeah, no. Let's. You know what? They're not on my tasting thing, but let me go. Let me grab. Let me grab those. Which which sure. uh, which Colorado whiskey did I send you? Was it twenty one? The, the E, yeah, okay, yeah,
3: E. Yeah. All right, e. Which- All right. Uh, as you can see, I've already dipped into, and I'm liking it. I brought this over oh, to show you. How about this? Oh, I ho, bought ho. this. I bought this when it was like, I don't know, ninety dollars at at uh, Vendome here in Los Angeles, a million wow. years ago.
1: Yeah, you can't uh, you can't it's get right. it for that anymore.
3: No, I know. And I, I don't know when I'm going to open it. Someday, I guess. I've had it because I used to buy it kind of regular, not knowing that, oh, maybe I should, like, buy 50 of these and hold on to them. Well, if I'd <laughs> if I'd have known you were a, a
1: Pappy fan, I would have sent you some.
3: I am. All right. And, wi- and will it? And, uh, I mean, yeah. I, and uh, uh, um, what's the other one I'm, I'm totally drawing a blank on? right now uh anyway i'll think of it so, are you a single are you a single malt guy at all
1: i love single malts absolutely. oh yeah yeah i love yeah. single malts in fact i just did a i did a, a glenn morangy tasting tonight uh for uh for a company called uh app dynamics and uh it was awesome
3: it's great nice yeah i've got a i've got a pretty decent single malt collection Man, pearl's, I'm,
1: pearl's, I'm loving pearl's, this I'm, lear- I'm learning a lot about you tonight
3: pearl's pearl's dad like years ago every year on my birthday he would give me like either a bottle of McAllen 18 or 25 so i've still got some of that stuff uh because we used to we used to drink it
1: <laughs> did, did you ever do you ever play with him
3: with meatloaf yeah i've gotten on stage uh yeah a couple of times like on tour because i would just go out on tour with pearl and uh have me up jam along on on something yeah
1: that's awesome yep
3: i love that i
1: know i know he's got a lot of uh he's got a lot of kentucky ties uh i know he's out here a lot and uh i've got a couple i've got a couple friends who are uh close to him and they were they're always talking about like uh, when he comes into town. Like, I should interview him. I was like, I'd, I'd love to, and it was going to happen in person. And then COVID happened, but
3: in, you know how that world—it's—it's—it's
1: it's, it's the yeah. story of our lives right now. Yeah, exactly.
3: Right? Yeah, Pearl's Pearl's sister lives in Lexington.
1: That's it. That's it. That's why she's yeah. why he's always in town. That's great. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll be following up with uh, like a care package for you for some for some stuff, but let's awesome. start. Let's start with the Michters. Let's go back to back to the drawing mictors. board here I, a little I bit. Pronounced
3: the... I pronounced it wrong. I said Michters. Uh,
1: you know, Michters, Michters. It doesn't matter. It's whiskey. So the it gets its name because the founder. Um, the founder of this company when it was like when when the when it was a pennsylvania distiller and they they basically you know he was it was bomb Burgers, uh, shanks they had all these different names and this guy uh, came in ownership of the distillery that had been in existence since arguably i mean i say arguably uh, 1753 and uh he wanted to create a product after his two kids and his kids were named michael and peter and so he named uh, the the first part of it after michael okay the part after peter so people are always like michter's oh that's an interesting name is that german like no it's actually it comes from uh
3: <laughs> right okay
1: like two kids so right uh, and i and i think that's uh it's one of my favorite stories in in whiskey now uh, that his his name was Lee Foreman and that company as he owned it basically died in the late 1980s a new company came in and acquired the trademarks they brought them over into Kentucky and started filling it up with you know putting Kentucky uh product in there and now they have their own distillery uh in Kentucky and you know Mictor's is just they're just doing such great work uh-huh uh, distilling wise so
3: so here we go. I mean, I've already,
1: I mean, you, you've already crushed this bottle.
3: Yeah. I, I feel like this is just a, this, I, I don't know much about, like I know they've got some very kind of more expensive high end stuff. Cause I yeah. see it on the shelves. Um, but uh this feels like just a kind of more of an everyday, you know
1: Exactly. Yeah, this is this is a forty dollar, you know, forty dollar price point, you know, super super approachable.
3: And great for the price point, great. I mean even I mean, no ice, no water, no nothing. And could just easy peasy. Mm-hmm. And it tastes good.
1: It does. It does. Now, are you you, you taking this over the uh, maker's mark?
3: I am taking this over the maker's mark. Yeah. All right. Thinking about that. Yes, I am.
1: So that is the the, – those are the two, like, traditional bourbons. And by the way, Michter's would be bourbon too – in 1956, they go in the barrel at 103 proof. Right. But, uh, so, so you're taking Michter's over uh, Maker's Mark, and now we've yes. got the the Colorado yes whiskey finished in uh, Aspen staves. So this is a whiskey finished with uh, Aspen wood. And I think you've been hitting this bottle a little bit too.
3: I have just because you know I think. Pearl brought a bottle of this home from Bourbon and Beyond. I think that you had given her, and we had gone. I don't know if it was this same one, but it was the same distillery—the Colorado whiskey—and big uh, fabric of that back then. So when uh, you sent me this, I was like, "Ooh, let's check this out." And uh, yeah, I'm I'm digging it.
1: I love it. Now, now both both. Oh shit! I just. We just had a glass go down on my end. My little desk is is bulging. I need. To... <laughs> it didn't hit any electronics, so that's all oh, that's I care good. about. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, how many wires it takes to produce just like one little bitty thing like this? You yes. Know. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, how do how do you get in the in that business? Like, how do you like become the guy that figures out what wires need to go into what? Because I mean, that's like you go backstage at, at a at a festival. I mean, there'd be like wires like that big. I know, all I know over the place.
3: I don't know how any of that works. I still don't understand how the fact that with my right hand I have I hold a guitar pick and I hit the string and that string vibrates and somehow that pickup captures that vibration and sends that through a cable into a thing called an amplifier and a sound comes out. I, I I, still don't believe that it's even possible. It's still magic to me. It's like, for real. Like, I, I, I've looked at schematics and I've had people obviously explain to me from A to B how it all actually works scientifically. And I'm still like, bullshit, there's a wizard in a cave who waved his wand at at like at 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 Les Paul and Leo Fender, you know, back of uh, eighty years ago or whatever, and said, "All right, you guys have the power now to make this happen." Like, <laughs> like, how the fuck does that work? How does that work? I I go like this on a on a piece of metal str- cable, and it comes out as a guitar. T- it's insane to me that it actually works. Oh my gosh! Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm. <laughs> We take make... these things for granted. I know. Like a drum, a drum makes sense. There's a thing, and you hit it, and it makes a sound. Like guitars, to me, it's still it. I I can't believe that it's even real. Like like <laughs> how the, who? Someone sat down and figured that out. Like if I do this and make a thing, it's gonna pick up that vibration electronically. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know,
1: it, into that same discussion, I don't understand how helicopters work. I mean, right? You know, they 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 go around, but they, they just don't seem like they aerodynamically make any sense. I get a plane, yeah. but helicopters, right. I I don't get.
3: Well, I guess aren't the rotors pushing the air down so it makes it go up? I don't know. I mean, what do I know?
1: It 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 is a. But they they move the way they move, it's just wizardry.
3: I feel I feel the same about all of it, even on a plane. I understand the idea of how a plane works with jet propulsion. I understand that idea. But when I'm sitting in a plane at thirty eight thousand feet, I'm still amazed that this I I, sometimes I feel like this only works because we all believe that it works. it's like we have this we have this hive mind that has said planes planes work planes can fly and therefore they do <laughs> like it's crazy to me that we just another thing we kind of take for granted you get in a tube that's going to fly at 600 miles an hour at 38,000 feet and we just do it like okay and yet people are scared to get on a roller coaster it blows my mind
1: <laughs> yeah i mean but then <laughs> in those people's defense of like uh the the roller coaster situation have you ever seen who's doing the maintenance on a roller coaster this is true i mean <laughs> <laughs> yes i mean uh, i mean i get on roller i mean i love a good roller coaster and i'm going to get on yeah. it nothing stopping me there but you know i get it i understand
3: yeah it's- well i guess yeah
1: but it you know planes so i i won't go in a private plane like i was in i was in a couple private planes i felt every bump um you know when i was when i was in iraq i had i was in some helicopters that had some really hard landings that you could argue were like crashes And sure. I was like, i'm never fucking getting a helicopter again you
3: know i've uh, never been in one yeah really yeah i well we never had it we were ne- we never needed to be in one and then when people started like music related people started dying in helicopters like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Bill Graham. I I told my manager, I'm never getting in a helicopter. The only like, unless there's an absolute have to, and when is there going to be an absolute have to, like I'm going to have to get in a helicopter. So yeah, I've, I've never, that's like one of the few things in my life I could say, like I've never experienced. I've never been, I won't go on those. I go to Hawaii, I never get in a helicopter and fly around the island and look at shit like, no, I'm not getting in a helicopter if I don't have to be in one and that's Man, never going to happen.
1: I so respect that because I'm in the same, <laughs> I'm in the same boat and, and I, I just, I, I won't get in a, I won't get in either those, either, either the private plane or the helicopter. Uh, I've been in,
3: I've been in private planes a few times and I've got a really quick story for you. So it, it This was in the late 2000s, which I mean between 2000 and 2010. I don't remember specifically which year, but VH1 used to do this thing called the Rock Honors, and it was kind of their version of the Hall of Fame. And so they would have the bands that were getting inducted, and then they would have people play to pay tribute to the band that was being inducted. So when KISS was being inducted into the VH1 Rock Honors, uh, they put together a super group to play before kiss was going to play. So it was me and Rob zombie and Tommy Lee and slash. And, uh, geez, who am I missing? Ace freely, which is really weird. Cause we had Ace freely in the group that was paying tribute to kiss and, uh, and Gilby Clark from guns and roses. And, uh, so when we were flying to Vegas for, cause that's where this whole thing was being shot and, uh, so they flew us on a private jet and uh we get on this this little jet at van nuys airport and tommy who's obviously flown on private jets many times in his life because he immediately as soon as we get up in the air he says hey should we ask the pilot if he wants to do some tricks and everyone's just kind of like uh you know okay so he bangs on the little door and the pilot opens the door and and tommy's like hey man you you think we could do some tricks like do the weightless thing and whatever. And, and the pilot's like, all right, let me call into, uh, 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 you know, what do you call it? The people that watch the planes on the computers, uh, not mission control, air air traffic control. control. Right. And, uh, so, cause he has to call in and let him know that we're going to go off the flight plan and go out over the desert so he could fuck around basically. And, uh, he gets the, okay. So, he's like, all right, what well, we're going to do. The pilot comes on the thing. He's like, we're going to, you know, do a real steep climb. And then when we get to the top of the like parabolic arch and go back down, you're going to feel weightless for maybe about five seconds. And I've known about this because they have that thing in Houston at NASA, where they train the astronaut astronauts. It's called the vomit comet because they take them up and everyone throws up. And, and I'm, I'm totally into this at this point. I'm like, weightless, I'm in, you know, and, uh, so he does it. So like all of a sudden we're climbing and you're thrown back in your seat. And you're going like practically straight up and you get to the top of this arch. And so, and I had loosened. I didn't take my seatbelt off, but I loosened it a whole bunch. Suddenly I'm floating in my seat, right? Which is amazing. Tommy Lee is not even sitting down. He's in the aisle of the, of the plane with a vodka cranberry and he's floating in midair and he didn't even spill his drink. It was like, it was, it, it, I I would go on record as saying it's the most rock star moment I have ever seen in my life.
0: Wow. Like,
3: it was insane. And then, and then he starts yelling at the pirate. He's like, let's go upside down. Let's do barrel roll. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I, we did, the, we did the weightless thing like four times. And that was, it was amazing. It, it was really cool. But, uh, I'm like barrels. Yeah, I don't know. And then the pilot said, we can't do that in this plane because a blah, blah, blah. It was a bunch of technical jargon that I couldn't repeat. And, and uh, so we couldn't do it in that plane. And then we got back on our flight path and we headed to Vegas. And um, But yeah, I, I don't know that I've been on a private jet since. And I'm also not a big fan of those really either, um, which I don't know why. It's seemingly they should be safer than a giant plane with a whole bunch of people on it. But I don't know. It's yeah. it's weird how you are well, convinced of things.
1: Yeah, I I think I think it's like one of those where what the people in like uh, the people who are paying the checks for the private jets they don't always tell you about the fuel, you know, you have no concern whatsoever about a Delta flight and their <laughs> fuel capacity. You know right. they're going to have enough fuel. I mean, there's yeah. no concern there. But like there's just so many of those like private planes they're like oh we're on a quarter a tank we'll be fine oh weather's coming up oh shit we're might, we might not be found there ain't nowhere to land here and there and then, right oh. yeah this is just just dumb stuff and also my my dad works for the faa so we have these conversations quite a few times about like what what crashes a lot and it's always private planes like small planes yeah um, it is and yeah. what, and we, there's a storybook of musicians, but there's even a larger book when you look into business executives and you look into, um, you know, you know, people of, of government importance and so forth. And, yep. and I'm just like, fuck that shit. I'm not getting on yeah. a private plane. That's it. Uh, I, I
3: hear you. I'm with you.
1: Cause commercial flights. Yeah. They, I mean, they do crash, but not at that rate. So
3: Yeah, and then even then actually I I can say I have been on a private plane since, but it was with Iron Maiden and it was a 747, and Bruce Dickinson, their singer, was flying it. And we toured all over Mexico and South America for a month, and and Maiden was kind enough to let Anthrax travel with them on their 747. And that was the greatest touring experience of, okay, of my life as that's well.
1: Pretty, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did not know they had their own 747, but if that's your private, they, if that's your private jet. Fuck yeah. They did on
3: that. They did on that tour. They don't always do, but on that whole run that they were on, they, they had a 747 that they basically took around the world on the, on the whole tour. And we were lucky enough to be on that one leg for about five weeks in uh, in Central and South America. And it was, I mean, if there was ever a time to say, that's it, it's never going to get any better than this. We're flying with Maiden on their 747 and we're playing stadiums, you know, with with not only like for us having the best shows of our lives, but then we get to watch one of our favorite bands of all time in front of the best metal audiences in the world i mean the whole thing was just incredible so yeah i you know for me that's that was that was the best That was the pinnacle right there
1: i mean i love hearing you say that because as like a fan like i look at anthrax as was like you all are a pinnacle you all are like you know you all are gods in, in in the world of rock and and you know it's just to hear you kind of fanboy out over iron maiden that's pretty cool man. oh come on i
3: mean my whole I, I'm. I mean, come on. I mean, not, I got. You know, I've got Angus and Malcolm. You know, I've got Gene Simmons from Kiss on my leg, and that's all I, I all I am is a fanboy. That's the whole reason I picked up a guitar in the first place. And um, yeah, I feel like if you ever lose that, you're in the wrong business. I mean, you know, there's nothing better than getting to do this with your heroes. It's it's such a mind blowing experience when you're out there sharing a stage with the guys that are the reason why you even picked up a guitar. It's, it's insane.
1: So there's obviously been, you know, various, uh, you know, um, I guess versions of anthrax over the years, what, or, or, or I guess not necessarily versions, but phases, what's been your favorite like decade what's been your favorite time frame of, of anthrax
3: you know there was a moment in time in the, in the 80s when uh, it was in 1987 when we uh, we put out among the living and we started that tour at a place called the Penny arcade in Rochester New York which was a little club you know sold out whatever 450 500 people, whatever. And, uh, that, that was in like probably like May or something of 87. And by December of 87, we were in the States and we were selling like, depending on the city, seven to 15,000 tickets. And that time period over that period from May to December of 87, uh, when the band, when we actually essentially made it, we blew up and we were able to like kind of make our mark on the planet so deep that from that point, we were able to write our own ticket and and be able to do what we wanted to do for as long as we wanted to because we connected with so many people. And, uh, you know, that, that period of time, those seven months or whatever, uh, eight months, whatever it was, um it was pretty amazing to be in it because when you're in it you don't know you're just playing six nights a week and you're doing your thing of course I realized the crowds were getting bigger but essentially you're just going to work every day it it, it, it wasn't until years later where you could look back on it and go it's pretty amazing what the fuck happened like that's insane yeah. like where did all those people come from
1: so here we go into the 291 Colorado whiskey. This is, uh, uh, I'm on batch seven. Take a look at your bottle and tell me, what, what batch is that uh, on your bottle? Batch eight. You got batch eight. Got it. So here we go. We'll uh, taste the 291 Colorado whiskey. Yes. Definitely taste that like um that aspeny kind of like smokiness, you know?
3: Yeah, it's oh. and so what is that? What am I tasting? Is it the Aspen wood?
1: Yeah, I mean so it's got a it's got a little bit of the qualities from the the French lick one you like, and that it's got some of the the grainy kind of um herbalness, you know, you know, res- from the from the grain and then that smokiness there is to me just uh just off the charts off the charts uh amazing like you you can always you can always taste uh that aspen wood
3: yeah i do this it's a pretty high high alcohol
1: Oh, this is uh, de- this is packing some heat. Yeah, we're looking yeah. at uh, and this is also distilled from a wheat mash. So, uh, I think this is a hundred and twenty. Don- I'm not seeing the proof of my bottle. Yes, yeah, hundred twenty-one proof. Uh,
3: mine is uh, three point
1: nine. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely have uh, a. Uh, we have a different bottle I have batch seven you have batch eight yeah the uh, the the founder Michael Myers is a former fashion photographer and uh, is a, just a really talented artist He's a cool dude too all right nice so we've, we've had we've we've tasted a lot of things here over a course of an hour and a half What is your favorite
3: Oh my favorite? Is the unpretentious rye from French Lake, Indiana.
1: How about that?
3: That is my favorite. And uh, if I was going to pick number two, it's this. It's the Colorado. Hey, I'm back. Look, I'm moving again. Look at that. And, uh, yeah, that would be number two. And let's see if I can do my top three. Uh and uh, yeah, three. I'm gonna go.
1: I'm gonna go with Mictors. Okay, all right. Yeah,
3: but I'm a big fan of that unpretentious high rise from French Lick. So maybe your buddy would seem uh, deem me worthy of sending me a bottle of that that he might have laying around <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I,
1: I I think we can pull make that happen. I think he would uh, he would be on. I think he'd be honored to send you some, so uh, I will drink it (laughs) (laughs) right on my friend. Well, I know I've, 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 I've kept you away from, from the family for a minute, uh, drinking a little whiskey, but, uh, you know, Scott, such a, such a great pleasure chatting with you. Um, you're, you're a real whiskey nerd and it's, it's just great to hang out with you, man. I wish it was in person. Oh,
3: right on. Thank you. It will be. And thank you. Hey, don't hang up. Like, once you turn it off, don't don't hang up, so we could exchange information, because I don't have your info.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll do that. Okay. All right. So, uh, Scotty and everybody, like, if you're not following him already, then you're missing out. He's a great follow on uh, on Instagram. You, he's not hard to find. Uh, half a million followers already. You know. Help them get you know six hundred thousand so be, be one of those that get to that next level but uh, tell Scott-
3: I, I, I tell I you know I gauge my worthiness as a human by my how many followers I I have so please follow me <laughs>
0: You've been listening to The Fred Minnick Show, brought to you by Beeline. Visit findyoursippingpoint.com, by Michter's American Whiskies, and by 291 Colorado Whiskey. For more information on Fred's books, articles, and more, just go to fredminnick.com.